Women Making Waves. You just messaged me a oh, yes. while ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And you said, uh, give me a couple of minutes because my laptop is playing silly buggies. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes. Is that is that a phrase that, that you've used for a long time? Because you do know that's not right. No, you? I do know that's not right. I'll tell you why that came up as buggies instead of something else. It's because of my predicted text on, oh, on right, my right, phone right, right. and do you it know refuses what? I to swear it. yes it refuses to swear yes. oh that's fine because I thought <laughs> maybe it was a pram thing <laughs> and maybe forever you'd been calling it silly buggies I know I am prone to doing things like that I have to say Linda but I've never noticed Susan. yeah really <laughs> I think you're being very very kind <laughs> as usual I, know, I think I'm being sarcastic <laughs> I actually I know I have I'm, I'm just telling everyone how nice you really are Linda <laughs> That's well, all. That's not right at all, really, is it? <laughs> mm, silly buggies. Yeah, silly buggies, I know. And it was such a great thing. Sometimes I get so irritated by a predicted text on my... Yeah. Do you find that when you, you you read it for the for the first time, you think, I'll just read my text? Yes, yeah, when you don't read it and you've already clicked send. Yeah, but somehow it changes before I send it. So you look at it, you think, well, that's great. And <laughs> between, then suddenly... Between reading it and sending it, yes, really? Yes, I'm sure, so. I'm sure my phone has a, has a mind of its own. <laughs> anyway, talking about minds of their own, what about horses? They've got a great mind, haven't they? I don't know. I don't know any horses. <laughs> I've known any horses to write a, a novel. I've never <laughs> known any horses who become members of parliament. I've none of ever gone to university. And I don't think they've got great minds necessarily. I think they're clever in their own way. You know, they can run around a field and they're quite good at jumps. I think the way they look at you, it does. I, I think they do sum you up really, don't they? Yes, yeah. they do. I mean, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, you know great they, minds. No, you don't know they've got great minds, but we do know that they have, have a sense of something that we can't sense. Oh, Let's absolutely. Well, way. all animals do, don't yes. they? I yes, do wonder they what do. they see when they look around the world. Well, they're a lot taller. <laughs> no, I don't mean the view. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they might just see the world in a very different way. Yes, I'm sure they do, but we'll never know. <laughs> no, I didn't mean over the hedge. <laughs> just... <laughs> But anyway, well, the reason we are talking about horses, are we not, Linda? Because we got to chat with a very interesting lady called Grace Lawson Baker. And she is an equine facilitated human development practitioner and speech and language therapist. Now, she's got some amazing qualifications. She has. Yeah. Very interesting person who's kind Mm. of connected the two things that she does and she's brought them together, hasn't she, Susie? I thought that was very interesting. I think it's a a good thing to do, actually, if you have got two worlds that seem to be really, really far apart. That's true. Bringing them together can provide quite an unusual and unique experience, really. And she is helping people overcome challenges basically something that she had to get over herself in her younger life anyway we'll hear all about that later on the program and what else is coming up linda well music now our next guest is someone who is quite well known in the local folk music scene but she's now into a different type of music and she is into the kind of music that is more making noise and she's in the noisy women which i think is great great title 
Oh, it is a great title, isn't it? Mm. It really is. And you're right. It's an interesting sound. And I, I like the way it's more lateral thinking than think before, because we always think we know what sort of music there is in this world. But actually, Farah has got something even more interesting for us to find out about as well. And that's all coming up as well in the programme today. Absolutely. So shortly speaking to Faradina Afifi. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Our guest today is Grace Lawson-Baker. Now, it's not often we get a chance to speak with an equine-facilitated human development practitioner and speech and language therapist. Grace's company is called Grace with Horses. And I know Grace won't mind us also adding that she lives in West Sussex with her husband, Neil, who's a sculpture and artist, three dogs, four chickens, and three horses. And she's also the proud grandmother of Ileana and Sophia, the twin lights of her life. Hello, Grace. Lovely to have you on Women Making Waves. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> oh, it's um, a pleasure. I've, I've actually got more horses than that now. Oh, that's excellent. Well, we'll oh, know. Wow. We'll, yeah, we'll, <laughs> that's even better. So we'll talk yeah. about that. But the question I think I'll start off with, Grace, is it seems that you have at least, if not a whole lot more, wonderful attributes to yourself as a unique and interesting practitioner and a therapist, and of course, your horses when it comes to helping both adults and young people. Can you just explain a little bit about what Grace with Horses is all about, Grace? I work with horses helping me in providing therapy for people. What horses do is they provide a feedback mechanism somehow. Um, For instance, how the horse behaves with a person shows the person how they're showing up in the room, if that makes sense. So it's easier through example. I've been working with a couple recently and the husband in the couple, currently he's in a much more sympathetic nervous system state. So he's, he's much more in fight and flight, ready to go type of state. They both suffer trauma and his wife is in a much more dissociated, sort of more collapsed state. And they're slightly opposites of each other. When they go in with the horse, the horse mirrors that So they both went in with a horse the other day. They were just walking with the horse, taking turns to walk with the horse. And what was so interesting was that you could see that the horse was very aware of the husband because he was much more available, if you see what I mean. He he was emotionally more available. As in he was was showing his emotion a lot more. He was showing his emotion a lot more, Mm. but also he was just more present he was able to be more present in that moment so it was like the horse went oh there you are I'll walk (laughs) alongside you wow and then his wife went in and because she wasn't able to do that because of her very depressed state and I'm sure you've all experienced being with someone who's very depressed you know they're not always there with you are they no because they're Mm. in a much more collapsed state that's right and it was like the horse couldn't see her (laughs) it's like 
So he just went off and he was in the arena. He just went off and did his own thing. You know, the horse isn't making a judgment or anything. Obviously, he can see you in a visual cortex sort of sense, but not in a, an emotional connected sense. I'm trying to, trying to understand that situation, Grace. So are you saying mm. then that you were able to help the husband, but you were not at that stage to help the wife because she wasn't ready? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's what the horse showed us. Okay, right. So what... The horse showed us very, very clearly was how those people were showing up in the world. Ah, right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I probably, and if you'd met them, you would have known, as a, you know, humans, we would have known that. But it's very difficult to start the discussion because person to person, there's judgment comes in and people think, mm-hmm. oh, well, she's just saying it. And, you know, all of those things that we say to ourselves. But like this, it was easier because the woman was able to say, well, the horse didn't do that, but it was doing that with my husband. And I'd go, hmm, that's very interesting, isn't it? I wonder what you think about it. And then she was able to start talking about how she didn't feel very present. Mm. And I was able to say, yes, and because you weren't very present, that's why the horse behaved in this particular way. So through the medium of the horse, you're able to touch and talk about things that are very much trickier to talk about in the therapy room. That's yeah. extraordinary. Example. I remember when I'd learned to ride, and I ride very, very badly, Grace, but when I was younger, I learned to ride. And I remember them saying, if you're nervous about something, the horse will sense it. And if, for example, I hated jumping. So they said, every time you come up to a jump, what you're saying in your mind is, I don't really want to do this. So what happens is the horse gets up to the jump and refuses to jump. And usually you go straight over the horse's head. And that's exactly what happened. And, and so, so horses have got this huge empathy, haven't they, really? And understanding of they humans. Do, and they, it's more about the fact that because horses are prey animals and they're also social animals, so they set up to live in a herd. So they need to know how everybody else in the herd is thinking and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And obviously they don't have language in the way that we do. And they also have to know what's going on in the environment all the time to keep themselves safe. This is obviously in the wild. Because physically they're very large. They've got enormous guts. You know, their intestines are very, very large. They've got very, very big hearts. And we know, for instance, that all of us, all mammals, we've got sensory feedback pathways coming from our gut, from our heart, into our brain and and vice versa. So it's going up and down our nervous systems. A horse uses its gut and its heart more specifically than its cognitive brain to literally feel the environment, you know, what's going on around me. And we've seen this, you know, every time you watch a lot of David Attenborough's programmes, you know, you've seen things where, you know, the zebra's been drinking at the waterhole next to the lion and it knows because it's sensing it through its nervous system that at that moment in time, that lion doesn't have any intent to eat it. Mm -hmm. And so they're using that sensory feedback system to read the room or the arena or the environment or whatever you want to call it so they're picking up on our nervous systems and because particularly their gut and their heart are so very much larger and so much better and more attuned to doing it because that's what they do all the time they pick up all this information and we can do it we just we're not as good as it because culturally and educationally we've been taught to sort of use our actually a very small part of the prefrontal cortex. This sounds incredibly fascinating Grace and and I want to come back to what you do currently but I I think we also want to know 
how you came about this because <laughs> you've had an amazing journey to get to where you are now. I mean, when I say amazing, yeah. it's it's there's been a lot happening, hasn't there? Uh, you had major heart surgery at seven. And did, as yes. a result of that, you were limited to what you could do as a child because of the physical demands on it. And it wasn't till later in your life that you were able to to try things like scuba diving, you were saying, and walking, and you've done running. Yes. And now we know you've done quite a lot, but I just want to start with that. Do you remember the feelings that you had when you were younger and wanting to get on and do things? Yes, absolutely. I have very strong memories of being in a playground, and I, because of my heart condition, I needed to squat in order to get the oxygen around my body. <laughs> So I remember squatting at the wow. side of the playground and want, desperately wanting to join in and not being able to. So, yeah. Very, very yeah. And then obviously you grow up and you've done lots of things and you have an incredible amount of qualifications. So I also want to touch on as well. But it was in Florida while you were swimming with dolphins, mm. which is an absolute treat, isn't it? I mean, it's just what I'd, I've never done total, before. Yeah. I don't know if Linda's ever done it before, but I've never, and I would love to. But it was in your 30s that it sort of changed your life a bit, didn't you? What, what happened to, to sort of change the course of your life, Grace? Well, at the time, I was running a large property company in London. And I went to Florida, and actually, there were cheap tickets because the Gulf War was on. Oh, right. <laughs> so nobody was flying. <laughs> So I went to Florida and <laughs> just randomly and went down to the Keys. And there, there was a place called the Dolphin Research Centre, which is where it wasn't as bad as it sounded. So basically lots of rescue dolphins or dolphins who had had other careers. So, the, you know, the Flipper, for instance. Oh, yes, absolutely. That, yes. That, film, that television series. One of the I think there'd been many, but one of the dolphins that had played Flipper was there at the end of his film career and there were several dolphins there who'd actually had sort of working lives in the in the American Navy and so there were a number of different dolphins there and and they'd made this place and and it it was pretty amazing because the dolphins could actually jump out of their enclosures into the open sea if they wanted to because dolphins can jump Mm. very high you've seen them (laughs) and and they didn't partly because that's where they got their food Mm. so they weren't daft <laughs> anyway I visited this place and thought was completely entranced with it and, and decided that I, come what may I was going to go back and I went back because that was just a holiday so I took a month off work and went back in the summer of that year and spent a month working there as a volunteer and it was watching the dolphins one of the dolphins work with a child and I can't now remember the disability she had she may have had autism but she was about four years old and she'd never spoken. She'd never said mummy. Um, her mother was in the water with her and also a trainer and also a psychologist, I believe. And this dolphin absolutely knowing when it was coming past the child and, and she was able to put her hand around the, and the dolphin came past really, really slowly. So it took a long time for this child to put her hand around its fin. And then it very, very gently swam off and took her for a little sort of journey around this, this enclosure in the water. And Crikey. very, That's it was extremely amazing. moving. And and subsequent to that, this child started to say Gosh. some of her first words. Now, there's been sort of quite a lot of research since then about why does that interaction with an animal prompt these sort of things? But so I haven't got time for going into that here. But anyway, I was incredibly moved by that. It was just one of those moments when I thought. I'd been talking about becoming a speech therapist for years and it hadn't happened for various reasons. 
And I thought, I just need to put my money where my mouth is. And that's what I did, yes. And so I, I sort of gave up what I was doing and, and applied to university. And I think it was the following year I, I started university and did a four-year degree. You mentioned earlier that you were working with a large property company. I think you're being slightly modest because you, you co-founded Regis, which I think we've all heard of. But that must have been yes. quite a thought yes. to stop doing that, which, which that's, a big, that's a big job, to stop doing that and go back to education. I know it's something maybe you'd thought about doing, but to actually do that, that's a big life-changing decision, Grace. Yes, I suppose when you put it like that, it, it sounds like that, but it, it seemed like it was so obvious as a thing to do because I'd wanted to be a speech and language therapist. It had been in my head for many, many years and then life had taken me in this other direction. And, and doing Regis, it was a mistake. I sort of fell in. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't set out to have a career in that direct. You know, it wasn't like I decided I was going to go into commercial property and... It was just something that happened. And I, I would always say that I was in the right place at the right time and <laughs> happened to do it well <laughs> when I did it. Or you could say you, you grabbed opportunities. When you see an opportunity, yeah. you you have a go. Yes. So you, uh, I, I would put it as that, really. It's, yes. it's I, something grabbed the, that, I definitely yeah, but... grabbed the opportunity. Mm. And I, what I really liked about it, and I think it, it fueled the change, was the piece I really liked was the creativity of it it was the creating of Regis and setting it all up and the imagining of what it could be which is what it became and then almost once it's set up and you've got all the systems in place it it felt slightly like you know I've done my job now (laughs) someone else can run it take it forward into the future with you know just on a day-to-day basis but the creativity part is Mm. is now this is where you've your moments change after swimming with the the dolphins Mm. and seeing this movement and going back and having some more time volunteering you didn't start riding as in horse riding until your late 30s and it's it's something that obviously coincides with what you're doing now so tell us what happened then after you decided to become a speech and language therapist and not an ordinary one let's put it that way so what happened after that then grace well i after i qualified i moved to devon and riding a horse was another thing like speech and language therapy that i had as a child you know i'd read all the horsey books and i pretended <laughs> to ride and ridden my bike with a bit of string and all those things that little girls and probably little boys, some boys do. But I didn't come from a family background that rode. So it wasn't in, you know, so even if I'd voiced it, it wasn't something that we did. When I moved to Devon, what I discovered was that there were a lot of people like me. So ordinary ladies, <laughs> ordinary women, because I'd been living in Surrey before and it had seemed quite an elite sport, if you like. It didn't seem very accessible at the time. And when I moved to Devon, it felt much more accessible and just part of every everyday life. And so within, I don't think it was very long, I think it was probably within six to six weeks to two months of arriving there, I was talking to somebody, a woman I knew, and she said, well, she said, the only thing to do is get a horse. <laughs> and I went, oh, yes, okay. <laughs> and within, I think, a week after my me sort of vaguely nodding my head she'd arranged a horse for me for the winter I and that was it you were were made to ride that was it basically and I'd had a couple at that point I think I'd had a couple of riding lessons and I went to get this horse with her and it was on the other side of the moor and this horse was very very kind and I remember riding back across the moor with her and then this horse was living in her field 
the next day I decided to go riding and I had actually never put any tack on a horse. That's tricky in itself, isn't it? (laughs) Sort of pulling up with my tack and and everything else. And it's all, it's completely muddy because Devon's like that at that time of year. And and just this horse was so wonderful because it was sort of standing there while I fumbled around for about three quarters of an hour trying to put a bit in its mouth and you know put the saddle on. And yes, as I say the rest the rest is history, as I say. It's interesting you say about horses and that being a kind horse. I mean, horses are beautiful creatures, but you still have to be wary of horses, don't you? I mean, mm-hmm. the, it, you know, it's, this is going back to your therapy and and what you do now is there's a certain way of approaching horses. I mean, I, I honestly think at the time that there was so much I didn't know that particular moment in time. I was probably mm-hmm. a little bit apprehensive, but I had no fear, okay. you know, I, because I didn't know anything, and so I played my trust in this horse that appeared to be quite kind to me. I was wondering at what point Grace did you did you consider because you said earlier they're a great feedback mechanism at what point did you think about using horses to help other people in you and in, in your career as a therapist? The sort of horse riding if you like that journey learning more and more about horses what I noticed was as I was riding so when my riding went well and when I had sort of gone cantering across the moors with the wind blowing in my hair. It gave me this sense of courage. It gave me a backbone, if you like. So when everything went really well, what I found was the parallel process going on at work and that that I'd be stronger and and more visible, if you like, at work. That was something I noticed as, as things went along. At the same time, I was reading a lot of books about something called natural horsemanship because there's all sorts of ways of being with horses. And I came across the work of somebody called Linda Kahanov. She put together a way of working with horses with people so that the horses could help people. And she'd done a lot of work noticing all of Mm -hmm. these different things that horses can help us with. Carrying on from all of that, what was going on was that I was obviously working in the NHS with all the challenges. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody knows about you know and I'd come from a commercial background so there were lots of things that I found unbelievable about how it all worked just thinking well this this is ridiculous (laughs) how do they think they can run anything in this particular way when I first started work within the NHS Tony Blair had just come into power and and there was a great resurgence there was a lot of money going in there was a lot of ability within the NHS to be creative, I suppose, with with your ideas of how to work with people. We kept going back around the same wheel. And I think probably by about the third or fourth time round the same change wheel, they'd go, well, you know, things aren't working, so we're going to change it. You know, they'd obviously had some management consultants in, and they'd give it a fancy other name. But actually, we kept going around the same circles. I do remember that era so yeah. well in about the NHS re rechanging its values and yes. its uh, perception. I, I remember that so well, Grace, yeah. that I can I can really have empathy with you in the sense that you're trying to keep up with it, or actually you're so ahead that that they keep changing and going two steps back. Yes, and, and for me, always the reason I went into doing what I did and, and into the NHS was. Firstly, because I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to be a clinician and I wanted to do the work with people. And also there was a real sense, you know, because of being very proud, you know, like most of us are very proud of the NHS and being very proud of working within it. And yet there was huge frustration. And, And then I started doing a lot of work with people who had communication difficulties. There was a psychological 
basis to some of them as opposed to an organic basis. So when I, when I say that, what I mean is, you know, if you've had a stroke, there's been damage to part of your brain or um, if you've got something wrong with your voice and you've got a, a nodule mm-hmm. on your vocal cords, there's, that's something physical. Um, so I've done a lot of that work, but I started doing a lot more work, voice work with people who didn't have any obvious organic problem. A lot of it was down to how they were feeling emotionally. Yeah, so almost, as you say, trauma, trauma. as well. Yes, was... yeah, so I, I got very interested in the traumatic effect of not being able to communicate, and that goes across a range of communication difficulties, obviously, and also the sort of voice problems that people had that were much more psychologically based, emotionally based. So at then what point then, Grace, did you join this together? Because just slightly touching on this, I mean, you've done some incredible work and, and it also says here that you work as a traumatologist mm-hmm. for a charity for women who have suffered domestic abuse yes. and, and you continue working as a speech and therapist in the private sphere as well. But was that quite hard as well? It's another moment where I went, well, I'm going to go and be trained. So I went and found the you know, what I considered at the time the best training I could find in this country. And it was somebody who'd done her original work with Linda Kahanov, this sort of guru that I'd read about. And because I'd come from this sort of real science NHS background, I was very keen on it being as as proper, if you like, as possible. You know, it's partly that thing of I'd been used to doing a profession that people vaguely understood what I did and recognised what I did in in a sense. You know, it's very professionally organised and we have a a college and you have to adhere to professional guidelines and things. And I, whilst working with horses might seem much more out there, I wanted to be as professional as I possibly could be in order to do it. So I trained with them and the training overall took just over a year. And what I found was that nobody actually goes to see anybody for any sort of work, I suppose, in inverted commas, unless there's something wrong. So that was a sort of fairly obvious thing to say. But and I, I thought, mm. oh, I need something else here. <laughs> I need to learn something else in order to be able to work safely with these people, I think, and be really, really sure that, that what I do, what the work that we do doesn't re-traumatise them. What I was finding was that I didn't have quite a big enough toolbox, I suppose is what I'm saying. Well, I'm just looking down your qualifications, actually, Grace, here. And I mean... <laughs> This is like two people. This is so you've got you've got your education professional qualifications, linguistics and language pathology, and then you have advanced dysphagia. University of Manchester, working with adults who stammer, and that's another qualification. Uh, you have vocal fold management principles and practice, working with transgender yeah. voice in 2016. And as I mentioned before, the equine facilitated human development and yeah. learning, postgraduate diploma in trauma. It sounds like you have an enormous amount of qualifications and experience. Do you feel now that you have taken it to a level where you think, well, you are, you're helping a lot of people. Do you think you've got to that moment now? Are you always going to continue learning? Silly question. You probably are, actually. Yes, I, I probably will. But I have promised my family and myself I'm not ever going to do a full-on <laughs> two-year course. I don't think there's any left, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> that requires case studies. <laughs> well, I did, I have to say the other, occasionally I see something and I, and then I have to go, no, just stop it. <laughs> there's somewhere, I'm sure on your website, or maybe I've read it somewhere else, but there is a quote that says, horses accurately read yes. our silent human yes. language. I mean, that's 
what a profound thing to yes. to read actually so they're all the time they're reading our intent they're noticing what's going on in our body we're not very good at noticing what's going on in our own body unless we train ourselves to be so all of the things that are happening through our nervous system is going on all the time but usually we override it with our cognitions with our thoughts with our story you know the interesting thing is actually is that it's the sensory system going through our body is actually what's driving our thoughts and our story not the other way around now i talked earlier that you are a proud grandmother of Ileana and Sophia and you call them the yeah. twin lights of your, of your life I think that's such a lovely expression now obviously they're going to ask you or they probably are asking you what you do and what what would you say to young people young men and women about your career I mean as you just said that they they are starting degree courses now on this particular area but what would you say to younger people that haven't thought about what you do I mean I think I've been very fortunate in that for whatever reason, and I think it goes back to having had this very serious heart and and having grown up with this belief that that I needed to make my life worthwhile because I was lucky, I was so fortunate to be alive. And, And so, it's that grasping of opportunities, isn't it? So what you what you were doing then and now and what you've achieved is quite phenomenal, really. Grace, it's been lovely talking to you today. I mean, thank you. That's all we have time for today on Women Making Waves. Our thanks to our guests, Faradina Afifi and Grace Lawson Baker. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website, womenmakingwaves.co.uk, where you can hear all of our interviews. See you next time. Bye. Bye.